Uh, if, you, if you're new, uh, if, you, if you haven't been, this is what, the fifth week of the series, Loving Your LDS Neighbor, and you know, as Will says, as, you know, uh, as John says, we're not, you know, we, we actually, my, my wife and I, um, we, were, uh, we had some missionaries in our house last night. Yesterday was funny. I was preparing for this talk, and the missionaries knocked on our door, and I was like, I don't have time to do this conversation, but then I was like, that'd be kind of exactly the opposite of what I'm trying to help y'all do. So it's like, fine, come back in 30 minutes. And so they came back, and we talked for two hours, and um, you know, a lot of stuff that, we'll, that we've talked about and we'll talk about even today, and uh, like we were just talking about, it's, it's both heartbreaking, and, but it, I, would, I would argue to you or just encourage you that one of the reasons why, um, I think for many of us, maybe that our faith is dry, is because we are very um, individualistic. We're very, you know, we're, we're West, we're, you know, we have a Western mindset about Christianity and about the gospel. And so we just think it's about me being able to get the right answers on a theology exam. And, and it's, you know, just kind of, it's about me. And, and you know, this is Schaefer's uh, Two Contents, Two Realities, which is just part of, you know, I think it's going to be we want to plant a church in Utah County. We want to, we're doing Ratio Christi, you know, at UVU and at the University of Utah and at Westminster. And this, this theme dominates the way that we see ministry. So it's, it's, it's certainly more than just experiencing God. It is getting honest answers to honest questions. It is sound doctrine, but it's got to be more than that. And so, um, you know, bragging on my wife uh, a little bit, it's been really cool. Even the last couple of weeks, she's been meeting with these sister missionaries and, what we've seen is it's really like her faith is coming alive because then she's like, we, we, can we talk about Galatians? Can we, what do you think about this? Or how would you answer this? And she's studying the, you know, she's studying the scriptures because they're coming and then she's talking and she's like, oh, I think I did this well and I could do this better. And then yesterday when the, the, the guy missionaries came, she wanted to sit in and we talked for two hours and she was, you know, uh, all the stuff that she's been studying. She, so it's just, it's, it's the beauty of human relationships and we care about people and we care about them enough to tell them the truth, like we talked about the first week. We care about them enough that if we believe that what we believe is really real, and the gospel is the only way which we can be made right with God, the biblical gospel, then we owe it to people to get up to bat. And I've found that my, I have, you know, when I talk to people with different worldviews, I just find out, you know, more and more how amazing the biblical gospel is and how that's really the only answers to these questions that all of us are asking. And so I think that if you'll just continue to get up to bat, you'll continue to have these conversations, you'll see your faith come alive. And like, you know, we've said every week, we're here to, um, we want to help you to have better conversations, but we moved down to Utah County. So this is, we live in Springville now and uh, just south of Provo. And so we want to, uh, we started a Rosh Christie chapter at UVU. There's a student that goes, uh, that, that he became a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in March. He moved here um, is at UVU this semester, and he was going to BYU in the spring, and on Monday he professed faith in Jesus. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's, he went from death to life, and we were having these conversations, and he was seeing the futility of a works-based gospel. He was seeing what we're going to talk about today, the, the impossible gospel of Mormonism, and then we compare that with the beautiful gospel that is the biblical gospel, and so now he's gone from death to life, and it's amazing, and we're going to get a chance to 
you know, participate in things like that for the next rest of our lives. And so we're inviting people, if you're interested, to, to let, you know, we, we'd love to share with you more about what we're doing down there. Maybe even some of you will consider moving down there with us. We want to start a church, but we want to, we got to get, you know, we're raising money to, or to support ourselves through the ministry of Rosho Christie. So if you're interested, we'd love to talk to you more about that. And uh, these are, every week we're giving you different resources. This week I'd love to just highlight um, the testimony of Michael Wilder. Michael Wilder was a, a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, went to Florida and, you know, got, he said he got, he got really excited and so he decided he was going to witness to a pastor and the pastor uh, ended up challenging him to read the New Testament without any relig- religious lenses. He just said, look, would you, what if you just read that without any of the baggage that you came with you and he just read it over and over and over and, and, and they now have a ministry and their mantra is Jesus is enough. And he actually ended up getting kicked off his mission and ended up getting kicked out of the church because he just said Jesus is enough. And so this is his story. His story is called uh, Passport to Heaven. It just came out in June. His mom was a BYU professor, so that caused problems in their household when he came back. And now she's saved. And she actually was a Rosho Christie chap- uh, professor in Florida for a while. And her story is called Unveiling Grace. And it's, an, it's a great story. It's actually very helpful to give um, to, to women because she just is able to, especially LDS women, she's able to just talk in a way that's just very, um, it's, just, it's, just, it's just a great story. So those two together are really helpful. And in this book, um, Sharing the Good News with Mormons, uh, edited by Eric Johnson and Sean McDowell, there's just, it's a lot of Utah people, but it's people who have been here for years and been doing these conversations for years. And it's just lots of, uh, techniques and ways to have these conversations that have been super helpful to me as I've wrestled through these conversations. So just encourage you to uh, pick up those resources. Um, already we're behind. See, it's only get 30 minutes. So I'm skipping uh, some of the review, but, but all of these are online. So all of the online, the, the um, uh, for the last four weeks, and the slides are posted there with them. If you want the slides, I can email them to you. But I just want to kind of Go back to last week, because I think this is so important. My, my contention is that most Christians are more LDS, more workspace than we realize in the way we live out our gospel. So we get, yes, salvation by grace through faith alone, but the way we live out the gospel is more of um, trying back on the treadmill. And we just challenged you last week, if you are in Christ, you are out of the courtroom. And some of us, we get declared innocent, you know, we get Christ's righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 has sort of become a life verse for me that we, we have his righteousness, but then we spend the rest of our lives hanging out in the courtroom of performance trying to find our identity in what we do or don't do. And don't do that. <laughs> that you, you, you have freedom in Christ. Paul talks about in Galatians 5, for freedom I have set you free. Don't go back to the yoke of slavery. Don't go back to this idea that you have to do or perform in order to, fi- in order to find your identity in Christ. And so, and I, I mean, think about in Galatians 2, how does Paul confront Peter? We, we, we look at, I used to read that as like Paul just went and put the smack down on Peter, and he's like, you know, you're in trouble. But he says, in light of the gospel, how can you act like this? And then he immediately goes through the chapter headings, are these, you know, they weren't, they weren't original, and, but what he's, that whole second half of, of chapter two is him talking to Peter, and he's saying, here's the gospel, you're saved by, by grace alone, not by works. In light of the gospel, how can you act this way towards the Gentile believers, and so I would, just one last thing, that a lot of times we think true gospel humility, a lot of us are just radically insecure, a thousand percent me included. And we look at that as gospel humility, and I would just challenge you that that's actually not gospel humility. Some, we look at ourselves and we think that, you know, we just need to be insecure about ourselves and kind of diminish ourselves. I would argue to you that that, so 
Keller does a great job of, of, doing, of bringing this out in, in Galatians for you, but, but, but a, a high view of yourself and a low view of yourself are actually two sides of the exact same coin. It's a distended view of self because some of you look at yourself and you go, I'm killing it, I'm better than everybody. And some of you look at yourself and you say, I'm worthless, I can't do anything, but where's the focus? It's always on us. So true gospel humility, he says, is not thinking too highly of myself because I know that I'm a sinner saved by grace, but not thinking too less of myself because I know that God loves me because he loves me because he loves me. So I don't think too highly of myself, I don't think too less of myself, I just think of myself less. I can love God and I can love people when I'm not focused on myself. I can I cannot want to finish my work yesterday when the missionaries knock on my door and say, no, although I want to finish this, I want to meet with them and chat with them. And so I just challenge you all. There's a, there's a couple of sermons, and again, um, Keller's helped me see this better than anybody. The, the sermon I mentioned last week, you can actually go, so if you want to take a picture of this, but you can go online and watch these. Um, the Freedom of Self-Forgiveness is a little booklet they made, but the sermon... It's called Blessed Self-Forgetfulness. It's an incredible sermon. And then he, he, did, he was actually at a conference. He did two talks. One is an identity that can handle success or failure. I mentioned uh, Kyle Taylor last week. You know, whether, you know, his identity is not rooted in whether 18-year-olds make a shot or not. Hopefully, right? Or that's going to be bad news, right? And so his identity, can you handle success where you're not all puffed up? And can you handle defeat where you're not destroyed? He's going to talk about the, the identity is one who's rooted in Jesus, and then how to change deeply, which is the ability, the only way I'm going to be, really, be willing to change deeply or be able to is if I'm honest with myself about uh, my identity, because then I can be honest with myself about how sinful I really am. So super helpful talks, and I'm already way behind. So all right, so um, what we're going to do today is I want to, so we talked about the gospel last week, and I wanted to talk to you about common objections that come up, and so we'll get into some theology, we'll get into a little bit of even some hermeneutics, if that excites you, um, and then we'll talk a little bit about just some verses that you can use maybe to try to help the LDS um, understand biblical uh, Christianity. And so remember we talked about this is the LDS view of salvation. Remember for them, the highest, it's not, it's not heaven. We don't, talk to them about, we don't talk about salvation, we talk about eternal life. This is why the book of John and 1 John is super helpful, because he uses those terms. But actually, the LDS gospel is laid out. So yesterday, when, when Jess and I were talking to the missionaries, they, were, they said, we don't talk about works. We talk about more about um, effort, I think was the word, the effort, right? And I just, and so what, what, I'm, what I'm challenging with today is what, what you're going to see is what's a lot of times in conversations with people is what we call folk Mormonism. And that's the, the idea that's just kind of around a lot of people right now. This is what, LD, this is what the, 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 the scriptures teach. And what I'm going to challenge you to do is go to the scriptures, their scriptures, to challenge them with their own teachings. And so, you know, if you really want to get into this, then, you know, get a quad, all right? So this is their quad. This is all their scriptures, right? The, the Bible, the um, Book of Mormon, Doctrines and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price. Um, ours is all tabbed up. When we, when we have teams come out, we, you know, we do... Uh, we have these conversations all the time. So mine's all tabbed up and I'm able to just go to verses in here. So I encourage you to get this because then I can actually just use their scriptures. I can use the King, the King James with them. But it actually tells us right here, right, that they may be judged according to their works, right? If you repent and you're baptized, that's important because we're going to talk about that today, in my name, then you shall be filled. And if you endure to the end. So they say it's based on works. This is their gospel. It's based on works. One of those works is baptism. Baptism is part of their gospel, and you have to endure to the end. Now, this is Articles of Faith. It's also it's in the Pearl of Great Price. Articles of Faith 3 and 4 tell us that their gospel includes baptism. 
So everything we talked about last week, that it's salvation by grace through faith alone, this is clearly um, contrasted with their doctrine, which includes baptism. Now, it includes other works as well. If you remember, I have this chart that, that we use, and I put this up before. I know you can't really see this, but here's all the things that's required for them. And I just use this chart. We actually just can use it. Jess was using it with the sister missionaries. Here's what, you're saying, here's what you say you have to do, and here's what the Bible says you have to do. It's just, you know, salvation by grace of faith alone. If you want to come look at that, you can. You can go to trygrace.org, and you get those. Uh, you can download that track. So the first thing I want to do is I want to show them that we're, that we're teaching a different gospel. Galatians 1 is super helpful. And the way, that the way that I do that is by showing them that we don't think baptism is, a work, is part of the gospel. So I would say to you that baptism is the first act, the first commandment for the saved, but it's not a commandment in order how to get saved. And that's very they, they will look at you like you have three heads. That's very uh, controversial to them because for them, they've always been taught that I have to get baptized to get saved. And they will look at passages. Now, again, we don't have time. If you want to, we, I mean, we could do a whole teaching on just these, but they will almost always go to John 3, 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water in the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Actually, uh, when I have a lot of conversations with Catholics, they'll use that verse as well. Acts 2, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, when, the, when he was asked, what must I do? And then, um, those are the two they usually go to. If you want to get super weird, go to 1 Peter 3, where all kinds of weird stuff's going on. But it actually talks about, it says, um, it says, when the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. So how do I reconcile those verses with my idea that it's salvation by grace through faith alone? And this is where the principle of hermeneutics is so helpful. Hermeneutics is just the science of studying scripture. And what we always teach is we want to let the clear verses guide us instead of the hard verses. So if you read, I just ch go home tonight and read, or today, read 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22. There's a lot of stuff going on in that verse, what verse is. And there's all kinds of debate on what's happening in there. But one thing that I, so the, 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 the view that I hold in that verse, and this is sort of an excursus, but it's super helpful, is it says, um, it says there, we're brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. I think what it means in there, now, maybe the elders here disagree, right? This is part of what we, have, we want to wrestle through the scriptures together. I think saves here does not mean the way in which I'm made right with God. I think it literally means saves you physically. And this actually brings up an important point in word study. If you do word studies in Scripture, sometimes you can get into trouble. Because if you think saved always in Scripture means the way I'm made right with God, that's going to cause a problem for you. If you think justified in Scripture always means the way I'm made right with God, that's going to cause problems, which you'll see in a second. Now, the way I can demonstrate that to you is if you look at Acts 27... Verses 31 and 32, Paul is on his way to Rome. He's caught in a uh, storm. There's people that want to get off the ship. They want to lower down the, lower, the, the lifeboats and get out of there. And Paul says to them, he says, unless these men stay in the ship, they cannot be saved. Now, I guarantee you, somewhere in the world right now, there's someone who read that verse. And they said, you know what we need to do? We need to build a ship, get in it, and never leave or we're never going to heaven. Do you think that's right? Do you think that's what he's talking about? No, he's saying you will die. So saved is a word. So words don't have meanings without what? Without the context. And so the context can help us understand it. So we just have to be careful when we do word studies because we're getting a mindset. We think saved always means saved. Now, maybe it means that. 
But what, I'm just, but what I wouldn't do for baptism is I wouldn't go to 1 Peter 3 because there's all kinds of stuff going on. And I think there's three places that you could go to to better understand that baptism and the gospel are separate. The first place is 1 Corinthians 1. We've been going through 1 Corinthians for what? Six years now here, right? So we should be very versed in 1 Corinthians, right? 1 Corinthians 1.17. For Christ, Paul says, for Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel. So what is Paul saying? Baptism and the gospel are separate. He's saying he didn't teach me to baptize, he came me to preach the gospel. So in his mind, those are two separate things. We, took our, we take the missionaries there. What do you think about that? The second place is in Luke 23, the thief on the cross, right? Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. He was not baptized. Now, a lot of times they will say, well, it was if his intention is to get baptized, that he can do that in the afterlife, and they'll punt to that. Um, that's fine, but that just means that you're saying that, that you don't have to be baptized for your gospel. The problem is your gospel actually, that your scriptures say that is a requirement. It doesn't have that caveat that says, parentheses, maybe in the afterlife. It doesn't say that. It says you have to be baptized. But I think the clearest place is actually Acts 10. So what's happening in Acts 10, right? Peter is going to Cornelius and the Gentiles, and the question is, can they receive the Holy Spirit? And in Acts 10, verses 44 through 48, Peter says this, or it says this, Luke says this, right? While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because of the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So here was someone, here was the group of Gentiles who received the Holy Spirit. They were speaking in tongues. They were, they were the Lord's. They were saved. And then he said, can we withhold baptism? No, because they're already the Lord. So then they get baptized. So I think that's a clear example to show that baptism isn't, because remember in the LDS gospel, they reversed that. You have to get baptized to receive the Holy Spirit. Here they received the Holy Spirit, then they were baptized. So the Bible actually contradicts that view. So you have to take them to their scriptures, what does their scripture say, and then we can take them to the Bible to show that we're preaching something contradictory. Now, if we had more time in the book... Um, sharing the good news with Mormons. Uh, John Kerr, he's a, a missionary down in Provo. He goes through this, and actually, he uses baptism. This is actually really helpful because he basically, his whole point with, with, the, with them is he's saying, it's not just that I need Jesus' death. I need Jesus' life. This is what I was challenging the missionaries with yesterday. The standard is be perfect. It's, it's not become perfect. It's be perfect. And guess what? I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. They'll admit that, Right? And so, it, but, so then the question, then I can use uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, right? My identity is in Christ. But I want to ask them, and so I want to ask them if they've committed any sins. And they'll say, sure, you know, and we'll, they were very open yesterday. Yes, we've committed sins. And then we can show them 2, uh, 2 Nephi 25.23, which says, we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. Okay? Now, this is important. It's a little caveat. Most, um, historically, the way that verse has always been understood is the way it reads, right? The text actually tells us grace is when, after all you can do. Do everything you possibly can, and then grace is the add-on. Most, many people now within the LDS circles are trying to redefine that verse. So this guy, um, I just, I was reading this book, it's called Original Grace by Adam Miller. He's a philosopher, an LDS philosopher down in Texas, and he says that this literally means in spite of all we can do or despite all we can do. 
literally change the meaning of the text. The problem is, and this is where if you have your quad, there's a Bible dictionary in the quad. And it actually defines these terms for us. And it actually says, this grace, talking about grace, is an enabling power that allows men and women to lay hold on the eternal life and exaltation after they have expended their own best efforts. Grace cannot suffice without total effort on the part of the recipient. Hence the explanation, it is by grace you are saved after all we can do. So they use that verse exactly the way that it reads. And we can just ask them. So this is the chart. I know you can't really read it that well, but just I, well, if, I'm, if I'm meeting with them, I'll just kind of put, out, I'll put a line here, put a line here, say, here, here's sin, infinite sin on the bottom, infinite righteousness here. What are some of your sins? And we just mark them down. We agree with them. We're committing sins. What are some of the good things that you've done? You always put baptism in there. Baptism, temple work, whatever, right? And then you leave this spot at the top for infinite righteousness. And then you put 2 Nephi uh, 25, um, 23 there on the side so they can see that. And then you ask them, right? How do you see, so what you see yourself is you're doing all this stuff and then grace is just kind of added after all you can do. Is that the way Paul saw his works? You take it to Philippians 3. Philippians 3 is a great verse, right? Um, Philippians 3, right, Paul says, he says, look, if there's anybody who could go by works, it would be me, Right? He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in flesh also, if anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal of persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them all as rubbish, the Greek word is skubala, which really means poop. You didn't think you'd hear poop in church today, right? In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that's what comes through faith in Christ, then righteousness from God that depends on faith. And you could go back here and you could say, look, if this is Paul's chart, Paul's going to say all the things you add in that top column, all of them, he counts as what? Poop. Dung. Because he's, because all of them are useless if we're trying because we cannot earn righteousness we cannot become perfect you either are perfect or you're not so we need the person who's lived the perfect life for us we need a substitute we need Jesus he's not an example he's our substitute not just in death but in life so I can tell them, look, I want Jesus' baptism. I want Jesus' prayer record. I want Jesus' life of I want all of Jesus. And so when I, I can say, look, what I'm counting for here, it's not working now. The iPad just died, which is helpful. Um, I'll just guess. Um, is it changing up there? Oh, there. <laughs> yeah, I might just go with no slides. What Paul is saying, well, when, what he's saying on, is, is he's saying all of it is grace. All of it is grace. Not just this add-on at the end. He's not just the top-off to my life. And that's everything. All right, so this is not working, so I'm sorry if the slides, we're just going to have to not use the slides here for, uh, for a second. Um, let me just briefly what about works? Um, what about works? So, so 
do we, you know, they'll always ask you, always, they'll come, this came up yesterday, you're saying I could just pray a prayer and then go off and just murder a bunch of people and all of a sudden it's just gonna, it's just gonna be perfect for me and I could just, you know, I could do whatever I want. Do works matter for Christians? And so I would say, yeah, so Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right? It's the verse we always use, right? We always talk about Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that we're saved by grace and not by works so that no man may boast. But what does Ephesians 10 tell us? For we, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Oh, it's working now. Sorry. Um, this is also taking way too much of my time. Yeah, but that created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right, so, so we're, not, we're not saying, it's not, it's, if you were created for freedom, Paul says in Galatians 5, it's for freedom that I've set you free, but it's not free to just go out and do whatever you want to do. You are actually a new creation. You are now who you were created to be. And so now you're actually free now to be who you were created to be, which means I'm going to obey Jesus. I want to obey Jesus. Why? Because I know that he, is, he has what's good for me. He knows what's good for me. He is my good. So if he tells me don't do this, external religion will say get as close to that line as you can without going over. Christianity says, if God, who is my Savior, and he has demonstrated that he loves me because he loves me because he loves me, if he's telling me don't do this, I'm going to get as far away from that line as possible. And that's where real freedom is found. Now, just for the, because we, we ran out of time, they're always going to go to James 2. And I just want to challenge you, and again, if we want to, we, I'd love to talk to you about this more. We, can do, we do whole teaching on this with Ratio Christie. But I would just say, just like saved doesn't always mean the way I'm going to heaven, James is using justified in a different sense than Paul does. And this is how we, Paul says in uh, Romans 3 and Romans 4, and he uses Abraham as his example, he's talking about how I made right with God. Abraham, in Genesis 15, believed God, and it was credited to his righteousness. It was reckoned to his righteousness. That's how he was made right with God. Then God gives him a son that he wanted more than anything, Isaac, and then he says, will you give that son back to me? And then, Isaac, and then you, Genesis 22 is when he's going to go up and he's going to kill Isaac. James is pointing to that part. James is saying, it's, it's one thing, if you say you have faith, if you're made right with God, now the question is, will you trust me in this next phase of your life? Will you trust me with what I'm calling you to do today? And Abraham did, and he was justified in doing that. Justified in the sense, not as he was made right with God, but vindication before men that his faith is living. So there's a way in which I'm made right with God, and that's finished, it's done, my identity's secure, but now God is calling every one of you in the room to something. He's challenging us to step out in faith. Maybe for some of you that means getting up to bat and having a conversation with somebody, and it's scary, and you have to get out of your comfort zone. And you will be justified in doing that because God will do something good through that in spite of you, because of you, whatever. That's what James is talking about. He's talking to believers and saying, this is the Christian life. Paul is talking about how do I get into the Christian life? That's really important. Now, we could talk more about this um, if you're interested and you want to wrestle through. But just so you know, in the Joseph Smith translation, now it's not the official translation, but in the Joseph Smith translation, which is in the quad, he actually changes the meaning of Romans 4, 5. Whoops, I messed this up. He says that God justifieth not the ungodly. That's bad news for all of us. And that's something you can help them to see.
All right, so the one thing you're trying, so again, we got a few minutes left. One thing I'm trying to always get in these conversations, I'm trying to get my LDS friend to see that their folk Mormonism, that their view that we're just, basically you just gotta try your best, is not the official teachings of scripture, of their scriptures. So if you can memorize just a few scriptures, a few, a few LDS scriptures, it can help you tremendously. And so we were doing this yesterday. We just had, I just had this and I was going to their scriptures and showing from their text why I think their view is impossible. So we're gonna do this briefly. Moroni 10.32. Yea, come unto Christ, and be perfected uh, in him, and deny yourselves of all ungodliness. And if you deny yourself of all ungodliness, and you love God with all your might, your, your, your might, your mind, and your strength, then is his grace sufficient for you. Okay? So we can ask ourselves some simple questions. According to this verse, when does God's grace kick in? After you deny yourself of all ungodliness. You can ask, then we ask them, what would it take, what would it look like, if you deny yourself of all ungodliness? It means you'd stop sinning. And then you just ask them, have you? Has, have you denied yourself of all ungodliness? Actually, the one guy said yes at first, then he backtracked. <laughs> I always say this, like if someone asks me, if you ask anybody and they're married, say, well, let me, can I talk to your wife real quick? <laughs> right. um, and if you haven't denied yourself of all ungodliness, then his grace cannot be, a, his grace cannot be applied to you. So then, right, they're going to usually say, well, we just, we just got to keep repenting. And indeed, the, you know, Moses 6.57 tells us that repentance is a prerequisite to enter the kingdom of God. But then we can ask him this question. What is repentance according to your own scriptures? And D&C 58.42 tells us, right? It tells us what? If you ha- how do I know you've repented? It will, if you have forsaken all, forsaken them. What does forsaken mean? It, does, it means to never return again. That's what Spencer Kimball says. To forsake something is to abandon it. According to, the, uh, to Kimball, the forsaking of sins must be a permanent one. True repentance does not permit making the same mistake again. Which tells us that, that the scriptures require perfection. Not becoming perfect, not trying your best, but requires perfection. And they'll always say, well, maybe we'll just go to, right, well, you know, I'll just keep repenting, and my job is just keep repenting. DNC 82.7, we, we used this verse yesterday. It says, go your way and sin no more, but unto that soul who sinneth shall the former, former sins return. This passage is clear. If you continue to sin, all your sins come back on you. Forgiveness is foreign to this passage. There is no forgiveness on the LDS scriptures. Not in folk Mormonism, but in their own scriptures, there's no forgiveness. And they'll say, well, fine, maybe it'll just be in the afterlife. And you could say, well, Alma 34, 33 tells us, do not procrastinate the day of your repentance. Right? For if, behold, if we do not improve our time while in this life, then cometh the night of darkness wherein there can be no labor performed. Right? You cannot wait. This life is your only shot to accomplish true repentance. We can't just keep punting to the afterlife. And then we can show them one last verse. D&C 25, 16, 25, 15, and 16, where he says, keep my commandments continually, right? And if you do this, then you will be with me. You can be with Heavenly Father. What does keeping my commandments mean continually? What does it mean to keep them continually? It's keeping continually. And we'll just ask him, have you done that? If the answer is yes, you know, it's not true, but if the answer is yes, you just ask him, have you repented lately? Because if you repented lately, then you're not keeping the commandments continually. 
right? And remind them, and again, this sounds harsh, they will, according to their own scriptures, they will never reach exaltation until they stop sinning. And if they say no, then you can ask them, when will they stop sinning? When will they st- keep the commandments continually? Now look, these questions are not meant to you destroy them. It's their own scriptures destroy them. And they're feeling the weight of that. And so what we're trying to do is open their eyes to the true gospel. And this is where we hit them with the beautiful gospel. And John is great with this because he uses the word eternal life. And there's all the scriptures we talked about before. Right? What are you boasting? The final question is what are you boasting in? And for us... The only, well, Paul, the only thing he's boasting in is Jesus. It's not Jesus after all I can do, because if it's after all I can do, I'm boasting in my works plus Jesus. No, we're boasting in Jesus, because he's done it all. It's all grace. It's all his substitute. It's all what he's done for us, and that is good news, because I cannot keep the law continually, and the law was never meant for that. And they're dying under the weight of that, and our job is to introduce them to the biblical gospel. And this is, and then, then we, and we told them last, this is, I know we're running a little bit of time. He said this, he said, I said, I want you to know I'm not just trying to argue with you. I care for your soul. And I, I owe it to you to tell you this. I have to tell you this because I care for you. And we, if we're preaching a different gospel, one of us is in dire circumstances. So they have to feel that we care for them. We're not just trying to argue theology with them. We care for them. And so we're, we care for them enough to share the truth with them. And we care for them enough to share the true gospel. So if you want to, you know, your homework is to get up to bat again, do it again, try again, again. It's not about you, right? You get to share living water with people. And then if you want to talk more about any of these things, please, let's talk. If you, if you want to chat more about any of this stuff, I'd love to chat with you uh, about this. Can we pray real quick? Uh, Father, we are so grateful for the true uh, gospel. We're th- grateful that, that I do not have to earn, I cannot earn. It is what you have done for us, Jesus, uh, that we boast in you, Jesus, 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 that you are enough, that my, my works are, are filthy rags, that they're, they're poop, that I cannot put my hope in. And there are people all around this world, whether it's Mormonism, whether it's secular humanism, whether it's another religion, that are putting their, their hope in their works and they're real, feeling the weight of it because they know they're not good enough. And yet we have the true gospel that we can share with them and, and sometimes we're afraid to just get up to bat. So help us to die to ourselves and love you and love others enough to share the true gospel, the only gospel worth sharing, the only news worth sharing, which really truly is good news. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.